Hello again, this is Nick Walters with the Industrial Hemp Growers Digest, and we're proud to present our webinar Wednesday yet again, and consistently we are just uh, tickled slap to death at the quality of folks that we're able to harangue in on a Wednesday afternoon to come in and talk hemp with us, and today is no exception. So uh, I'm really pleased to be able to introduce a part of the team from the Alabama uh, Extension Service, uh, as in Alabama, the state of, not necessarily Alabama, the university of, because all these folks are, are hanging out at Auburn and uh, Auburn University as a land-grant institution uh, that is, is put a lot of their effort towards trying to figure out the hip world as much as any of the rest of us have, particularly here in the Gulf South. So we've got one other, um, uh, a compadre of theirs that will be joining us in, in just a moment, but I'd like to introduce Dr. Caitlin Kesheimer, uh, as well as Dr. Cassie Connor, and uh, Jessica Kelton will be joining in, in a minute, so that is all the phonetic K sounds that we could get into one spot at one time, or are all here at once, so uh, we know that you've got a lot of great information to share with us, and, and what we're really interested to know is kind of, I think it would be helpful for us to know more who might not be as aware of kind of what really is the role of the extension service in agriculture kind of um, at all period, just kind of in, in that space. And then uh, also the things that y'all have learned uh, within about what HEMP is doing within these temperate zones and with other spots within, within the Gulf South. So why don't we just, Dr. Keshauer, we can start with you, would that be all right to let you Introduce yourself and, and um, uh, uh, part of your background, and then Dr. Connor, we can let you intro then. And so you have control of the screen, you should. So if you've got slides to share or anything you'd like to put on that, then go right ahead. Yeah, thanks, Nick, and, and thanks for having us. This is, this is great to be a part of your uh, Industrial Hemp Digest, Digest podcast slash webinar. And so, yeah, I'll introduce myself and then I'll, I'll kick it over to Cassie for a little bit. And then um, I'm going to present some slides, just kind of summarizing what we, we've been doing here in the hemp world at Auburn University in Alabama. And so by way of introduction, I am an assistant professor and extension entomology specialist with Auburn University and the Alabama Cooperative Extension System. I am still relatively new to the hemp world, but I've been doing entomology and studying pest insects for many years now. I went to school at University of Kentucky back in the day, and so learned a lot about agriculture and managing pests before I went to West Texas and worked a lot with cotton producers, managing everything from insects, weeds to diseases um, in a variety of cropping systems, and about three years ago landed here in Auburn, Alabama. And my role here is to help producers with insect problems in a variety of cropping systems from grain crops to pastures to turf. And most recently, last year, Auburn University started our, our hemp research program. And so I've been learning alongside the growers, which has been really fun. And so we'll talk about that a little bit today, what we know, what we don't know, and what we're trying to do to figure it out. Terrific. Dr. Connor? Hi, so I'm Cassie Connor. Um, I am an extension sp specialist in pathology, and I'm the director of the Auburn University Plant Diagnostic Lab. <clears throat> I have something in my throat. Um, so I've been the director of the lab here for about 12 years now. Um, before I started, uh, I was in horticulture, and I got all my degrees from Auburn. Um, I've been from Alabama my whole life, and um, I have been more involved in the um, extension side of things. I work with the extension agents, trying to help the growers solve problems, um, trying to get samples sent to the lab so that we can get them accurately diagnosed so that we can actually figure out what kinds of diseases infect hemp. Very cool, outstanding. All right, so Dr. Keshamer, do you want the, the, uh, the, the con back as they say at Star Trek so that you can um, roll with it from there be able to give us some good info? Yeah, so I should be sharing my screen now, so you should see you my title, which is roughly what I'll, I'll be discussing today, kind of what we've learned about hemp so far here in Alabama and across the South, and, and really focus on how extension can help. Um, I have my contact information here, and uh, I'll follow up with some more contact information at the end, but 
feel free to contact me if you have any questions and, and Cassie or, or Jessica as well. And so what are we growing here in Alabama? And so we're going to be talking about, you know, I think fiber hemp in the future, but for now, the majority of hemp grown in Alabama and across the U.S. really is primarily for its floral material or, or CBD hemp. And these numbers that you see here are from a grower survey we did last year in Alabama. And I, I'd honestly even say these, these grain uh, seed and fiber numbers are uh, aspirational rather than reality. A lot of people have interest in growing it, but we really haven't broken into that market quite yet here in Alabama. So that's why I'm excited that, that Nick has been working with us recently on, on learning more about fiber hemp. And then in terms of varieties, you can see um, we're all across the board. The biggest number here is just other, and that just speaks to how much variation there is in these selections you have for variety. And you know, a lot of these other, we probably don't even have, and I haven't heard of half the things that are growing out there. So that's just to say, we grow primarily CBD right now, and there's a lot of different varieties across the state. And so while that was a snapshot of what it looked like in Alabama, what you're looking at here is a snapshot um, zooming out to the entire US over the last four years. And so what we're looking at is a huge increase in both growers licensed to grow hemp the last four or five years, and then a huge increase in the number of acres licensed. And this was this large increase you're seeing here was a direct result of that 2008 farm bill that was reclassifying hemp as an agricultural commodity and officially removing it from the Controlled Substances Act. But then when we look at 2020, what we notice here that this plateaus in terms of the number of acres licensed for hemp, and it's slowing down this exponential growth for um, the growers that were growing. And so once all the, the numbers are tallied, we're gonna end up not nearly as many, I think in 2021 as we were in 2020, um, certainly for acres and maybe in, even for growers licensed across the US. And so these numbers are just a different way of showing what I just talked about in the graph. Um, the most extreme thing that I'd like to point out is in, from 2018 to 2019, we saw a over 500% increase in the number of acres licensed across the United States. And then by 2020, we're at a 9% decrease. And so that's a huge change from over 500% increase to 9%. And so it's important to keep in mind that the majority of these acres, I think I've seen something around 92% are grown for CBD. Um, and so that's the shift that we're seeing. And so in terms of things that are causing this shift, there's going to be lots of variables. Uh, I think one major one is growers are shifting to smaller productions. At least in Alabama, our minimum acreage used to be five acres the first year of hemp production. And then the next year was changed to one. And so um, at minimum, you had to only grow one acre. Um, we also has, had a huge surplus of CBD hemp biomass on the market and growers were concerned about flooding the market, especially with this, you know, 500% increase that we saw the year before. Um, we all know about the, the price drops in CBD all the way down to a dollar and change uh, percentage points per pound. Um, labor and equipment requirements, and, and this is across the board for different varieties or uh, types of hemp too. So um, we just don't have the infrastructure to process large amounts of this. And, and I hope that'll change moving forward. And um, you know, my crystal ball prediction is this CBD hemp will definitely continue to decrease in acres. And hopefully we'll see more fiber and grain hemp, especially as we learn more on the agronomic side, the pest management side, and also the infrastructure side um, in terms of processing and, and manufacturing. And so I'm sure everyone's aware of all the, the 25,000 uses of hemp. And so um, if you know, the question is, if this plant has so many uses and diversity of products, why isn't everyone growing it? And so we can go into a, a long history of hemp um, over the last hundred years, which is super interesting, but I'll, I'll spare the history lesson until a little bit later. Um, but one of the main issues is a lack of research-based information uh, locally and in modern times. 
We don't have a long history of research trials in different climates, whether it's across the Southeast or varieties that are coming from Canada or the Pacific Northwest. And that makes it difficult to understand the agronomics of this plant, um, especially when it comes to pest management, insects, weeds, diseases, varietal selection. And um, this survey here was when Alabama growers were asked what were the major, major issues and it was insects, weeds, and diseases. And so there's a lot of things we don't know that we have to figure out, um, understanding the genetics and what's gonna fit best here in the Southeast, uh, whatever type of hemp you're growing, um, that you know, market of local processors and buyers that still makes it economical as well as the cost. And, and a lot of that comes down to when we get more acres, the cost will go down. But right now, it's still pretty high in terms of finding, you know, someone who has the capabilities to process these plants we haven't grown in a really long time. And so I'm going to spend a couple minutes just kind of talking about um, pests. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll promise I'll talk more about just insects, but that's really where um, my heart is. And actually, one of the reasons I got into hemp was because I was asked by a colleague to look at some insects on someone's hemp field a couple of years ago. And if you had listened to some of the early rumors, uh, a lot of people were saying this is such a great crop because it doesn't have um, insects that are a problem or diseases. And so when we asked the question, are insects a problem in hemp? Well, the answer is yes, but we're still figuring out which ones. Mm. Um, and, that, and that goes across the board for CBD or fiber or grain hemp. And a lot of the insects that we are seeing um, in the surveys we've done in Alabama and, and across the Southeast, a lot of pests also are feeding on other traditional row crops. So they're in the system. You have this you know, green oasis of, of plant material. So they're gonna be found feeding on it like this Japanese beetle and, and cucumber beetle here, but are they really going to be a problem? And for the most part with, with arthropods and insects in general, um, they're not a pest, they're not going to require any action, but we still need to come up with a, a solid IPM plan for this new crop. And some of the biggest headaches we've seen here in Alabama, and this is a, a unique problem to this part of the country, are fire ants. And so they love making mounds at the base of plants. They'll chew away and strip the bark. They'll tunnel through the plants. And so similar to what they'll do to vegetables like okra or eggplants, uh, they just love hemp, and so they've seemed to, to pounce on it right away and, and cause a, a headache for growers here where we have fire ants, especially in Alabama. Um, you really can't go anywhere in the state most of the year without seeing fire ants. And the other biggest pest that I just want to mention briefly are corn earworms. And so you can see this fun looking caterpillar here and the damage that can get caused from caterpillar feeding. Um, this is far and away the most damaging pest of outdoor hemp grown for CBD in the United States. We also see a whole other suite of caterpillar pests, yellow striped armyworms, fall armyworms, southern armyworms, which are pests. And from the little uh, fiber hemp that we have grown here in the Southeast, fall armyworms are turning out to be a pest as well. And so caterpillars are something to keep in mind when we're, we're discussing insect pests of hemp. And then just a few other things, um, primarily for indoor grows, spider mites. We have a, a hemp specialist, a hemp russet mite. We have another specialist, the cannabis aphid. And grasshoppers, they like to eat a little bit of everything. And similar to the fall armyworm, they can be a major pest of fiber hemp as well. And I'll actually uh, ask Cassie to talk about this because this is definitely information and pictures from her, um, but we do see a bunch of diseases that can infest hemp as well. Yeah, so the, the same way where people say that um, hemp is not susceptible to many diseases is obviously not very true. Um, there are tons of things out there that want to kill hemp. And especially in the South where it's humid, and you already have high disease pressure, you're gonna see a lot of disease. Um, so it starts early in the season. Uh, we see seedling diseases. Uh, as soon as the plants are put out, if the soils are too wet, you're gonna end up having damping off. 
Um, there's several pathogens that cause that, but they're all soil-borne. We see a lot of foliar diseases, um, such as leaf spots, powdery mildew, those kinds of things. Most of those are related to nutrient deficiencies, because if you have a plant that's not getting enough nu nutrients um, or it's being stressed from nutrient deficiencies, it's going to be more susceptible to diseases. <clears throat> About two years ago, um, we had everyone that we saw leaf spot diseases on that submitted samples to our lab actually also get nutritional analyses. And I think about 99 or 95% of those um, samples all came back with major nutrient deficiencies. Hmm. Um, so it's kind of like when you as a human are stressed, you're more likely to become sick. Plants are the same way. Um, there are a few um, virus type diseases out there. They're actually viroids. Um, they've been moving around out in the West part of the country. I think they've become a really big problem out there. I think it's hop latent um, viroid or something like that. We haven't seen any of that here in the East yet, but with time and with plant material moving around, we'll eventually probably see it. Um, there are stem cankers that you can get. We have seen a lot of FOMA stem canker. It's where you have one branch on a plant that's dead and the rest of it looks perfectly healthy. We usually see that late season um, as the plants are maturing. We see a lot of wilt diseases, such as fusarium wilt <clears throat> and southern blight. Um, southern blight really, really likes hemp, uh, especially if you're growing on plastic. It likes to grow, the plastic traps in the heat and the humidity, and it likes to grow with um, the road under the plastic and it'll just kill every plant in a row. And then it'll start moving out to the other rows. Um, usually when we see that, we have to recommend that people tear up the plastic to try and let some of that moisture out, let some of that heat out. I know in Louisiana, this has been a huge problem also, and they've gone as far as to recommend that people not grow on plastic in that state. There's a lot of different root rot diseases. All of these are soil borne. Um, they can be introduced on plant material in the field, or they can be natural populations that are already there. Um, and then you have nematodes, which are little microscopic worms that feed on the roots of plants. Uh, and then I would say more than diseases at the lab, we have seen more abiotic problems than we have actually diseases. Um, we see a lot of root girdling, we see a lot of stem splitting, we see a lot of problems that most of these growers don't realize are not diseases, sending them into our lab. Did you have a slide with the lab after this one? Caitlin? You're on mute. I am, yeah. So I will talk about that in a little bit, um, okay. so I'll... I'll come back to you. So um, I did want to just briefly mention uh, weeds because we're the bearer of bad news. Um, this has also been a major headache for growers. And this is just a couple of the major ones. I know this year, um, Morning Glory was just going crazy. It really loves all the rain we've had. And so with a lack of trials and labeled pesticides across the board, weed control can be especially time consuming and laborious. And I know my students had a super fun summer hoeing our weed plots uh, this year. And so kind of in summary where, where we are right now, there's a lot of pests to consider when growing hemp. And we've worked primarily with CBD hemp just because that's what the majority of, of growers are growing, but the different types of plants are gonna have different types of pests to contend with. And we also can't forget the variation between regions. And so the, the climate, those uh, factors that Cassie talked about, uh, pest pressure, economic strategies, disease pressure are gonna be really unique here in the Southeast with our high temperatures and high humidity and, and constant insects running around all year. And so the, the main, point is we need more research. We need more information that we can share with growers so this can be a sustainable crop moving forward, whether it is fiber grain or CBD. 
And so this is where I wanted to, to shift gears and talk about really the role of Auburn University, other universities and extension systems and how we can take some of these major questions, conduct research trials and then extend that information to the community, to growers, to organizations like NICS that growers can find useful and apply to their own farms. And so at the risk of boring everyone with a little bit of history, I did wanna mention um, basically what is a land grant institution. And so these, Auburn is the land grant for Alabama and these were universities that were designated a long time ago um, by a couple of federal acts um, that basically gave the goal to these institutions to teach agriculture, military tactics, mechanical arts, and classical studies. And with this came federal lands that we could conduct research on. And so this has created agricultural experiment stations here in Alabama. We have several of them scattered throughout the state paired with funding on a federal level to conduct research on those experiment stations. And as we were conducting experiments on those stations, we decided over a hundred years ago that we needed some way to take those data, that information from the experiment stations and disseminate it to the communities and to growers. And so this was the Smith-Lever Act that actually created the cooperative extension system where we could take information that we were generating at these agricultural experiment stations and share it with growers. And this has evolved into what the extension system across the U.S. and the South um, is today. Matt, may I ask you a question there real quick, just sure. to jump in for clarity for anybody who might not be aware. Does every state in, uh, of the 50 states, do they all have a land grant institution, whether they were 1862s or whether they were 18, I mean, most of the 1890s are HBCUs, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So the 1862s are the original land grant universities. And then we also have the minority serving institutions, um, which are the 1862s. And so, yeah, every state has um, a land grant designation where we get federal funding and allocation of lands to conduct some of these, these research projects. Um, with that Hatch Act comes some funding. And I'll talk about some a Hatch project here in, in just a minute. Okay. Um, but yeah, you, and there are other extension services, but the main, you know, the main ones that we, we deal with are our land grant institutions. And so here at Auburn University, here's just a snapshot of the uh, agricultural experiment stations across the state. And so we have them in North, Central and South Alabama and based on the region, the size and the climate in those areas, we grow a variety of crops where we can conduct applied research and so that's, that's one of my jobs is to, to conduct research at all these experiment stations that growers can apply to their fields. And so specifically when it comes to hemp, we have a couple of our central and South Alabama experiment stations where we are conducting hemp research now. So we have um, at the Evie Smith Research Center in Shorter, Alabama, we have our outdoor hemp plots at the Plant Science Research Center is a greenhouse here on campus where we are growing hemp and also at the Ornamental Horticulture Research Station down in Mobile. They also are growing hemp in the greenhouse and, and sending us transplants to plant in the ground. And so when I talk about Alabama Cooperative Extension, also known as ACES, um, we have extension offices in all the 67 counties throughout the state um, where anyone can walk in and ask for information on a variety of things. Um, and we also have specialists like Cassie and myself that serve the state in different disciplines. We also have regional extension agents in each of these regions. And you'll hear from one of our REAs, Jessica Kelton, in just a couple minutes that have anywhere from, you know, a dozen or more counties that they serve. And serving those counties, we provide research-based information, educational materials, activities, work with the community to help use research to answer the most pressing questions they have um, based on current needs. And that's really how we got into hemp was because when the, we started growing it back in 2019 here in Alabama, there were a lot of questions on how do I grow, what varieties do I grow? How do I manage these insects? What's this disease look like? Why are my leaves turning yellow? And so 
Um, Cassie can probably talk about, you know, the, the hundreds of samples she's come through the past couple of years, but we're basically here to provide information based on the latest research to anyone in the state who's looking for it. And so I mentioned um, the Hatch Act, and with that comes what we refer to as Hatch Projects. Um, and it's basically a, a plan that um, has goals for research and education across the United States. Um, and so we conduct these research projects at our experiment stations and on grower farms. And in the last several years, there is a national hemp work group um, entitled Industrial Hemp Production, Processing and Marketing in the US. And these are the states in the US that are formally um, enrolled in that working group. We meet once a year, we have a list of objectives and we use it to conduct multi-state trials and take data from those trials and share with our growers in our respective states. And some of the other things we can do is generate more information as a team. And so here's a publication from that group looking at the economic viability of hemp. Um, it did a, a big review of all the different hemp programs across the US. And so you can find these, these data and information um, on the USDA's website. And a more regional group that we formed back in 2020, I guess about a year and a half ago is the Southern Hemp IPM Working Group. And so this is our logo that you're looking at here and all the blue states are the states involved. And so we have um, over a dozen universities across the Southeast where we, we work together again to uh, conduct multi-state trials and share information um, through webinars, just like this one, meetings, publications, uh, social media and the like. And here's just an example of um, one of our papers that came out this year. We had um, half a dozen states try to come up with some answers for corn earworm, which is our, our biggest pest in outdoor hemp. And so by working together, we're able to get more data and also understand these regional and climatic differences across the regions. There's also a North Central and Western hemp working group that we coordinate with too, just to share information um, as we're learning it. And so this is where I'm going to send it back to you, Cassie, specifically talking about some extension resources that we can provide to growers. Ultimately, we wanna be able to give unbiased research-based information that is from our current research studies with either on grower farms or agricultural research stations and turn that into useful information for growers. And so that, you know, in, in my world, that would be management recommendations for insect pests. Um, and as the, the head of the plant diagnostic lab, Cassie makes a lot of identifications and recommendations for growers across a variety of systems. Yeah, so just like growers, um, those of us working at universities also have to have a license to be able to do research on hemp. And so at the university here and within Extension, I hold the license for the Extension side of things. Um, and this is because I'm located here in the diagnostic lab. We also have um, a soil testing lab in this building. Um, where they also do, they do soil and foliar nutrient recommendations. So these are some of the key things that we always suggest that growers do, especially before they start planting, as the season progresses, and when they have problems. So we always suggest that people have their soil tested before they start growing. They need to figure out, you know, what their pH is, what kind of fertilizers they need to add, all of that kind of stuff. Um, that's always good to do before you start growing and then during the season to kind of monitor progress of the nutritional status or if you start seeing issues like all the plants start turning yellow. Um, then we suggest collecting uh, additional soil samples and foliar samples. Um, and then if you start having um, big, huge issues, you know, all your plants start dying or a row of plants starts dying or a patch of plants. Um, 
You can contact your extension agent, the regional extension agent in your um, specific area. And you would probably want to contact the commercial horticulture agent, although I do believe you can also contact the agronomic crops agent. Um, <clears throat> they can usually come out to your grow site and they can try and help you troubleshoot what the problems are. That's part of what our uh, permit covers is them going to your site. And they can also bring samples back here to me at the lab or to the soil testing lab. <clears throat> and um, if you don't go through your extension agent, which we usually recommend that you do, you can always send in samples directly to the labs uh, without going through that extension agent. And there's uh, our website for the plant diagnostic lab. Um, although I got to tell you, it's really hard once you pluck a few leaves off of a plant to try and figure out exactly what was going on with it. It's like um, me giving some of my fingernail clippings to a doctor and asking them why my head hurts, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's really best to see the whole plant. I know you can't, people can't always take a whole plant into a lab to have them look at it, but a lot of the times pictures are good enough to help. Um, pictures of damage up close, pictures of like landscape pictures. So you can see kind of the whole field. You can see kind of like what the distribution is in the field or the distribution on a single plant. So um, those can always be emailed directly to me or to your extension agent. Um, and if you have absolutely no idea what you're doing or what the problem could be, if you send those pictures in advance, we can always help you determine what kind of samples would be best to collect. Matt, Matt ask a question right there. What if my, every state um, uh, extension service slash uh, uh, land grant institution is going to have some sort of a lab, right? Yeah. So but does that mean they all have an expert there of somebody that would understand him? Not necessarily. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's state dependent. I think in the South, I think most of them do. Um, I know definitely in Louisiana, Mississippi, um, and I do believe Arkansas. I, I think that most of the states do have a diagnostic lab that can first accept hemp samples. Um, that would be the first thing you would need to determine is if your state lab can um, receive samples. Uh, because you, like I said, you have to have that same permit um, right. for you okay. to be able to work with it. So just contacting the lab in your state and asking them more about it. And I will add too that a lot of us extension personnel are connected across state lines. And so I know if I have a question about something, I can reach out to colleagues in, in Georgia, Louisiana and vice versa. And especially with something as new as hemp, um, there's a lot of phone calls and emails flying around behind the scenes um, working together to figure out some of these, these answers for growers. Cool. And so I just wanted to briefly touch on some of the resources um, that we've put together the last year or so. Um, Cassie and our horticultural specialist, Dr. Joe Kemble, put together a really handy um, publication on collecting leaf tissue testing. And I think this is really important especially since she said, you know, these diseases can are opportunistic and are going to come in if there is a nutrient deficiency. And so here's a way that we can figure out what those deficiencies are. And similar to other crops, we have our integrated pest management guides, and we created the first one for hemp this past year. And this was a joint effort between Cassie and myself and, and Dr. Joe Kemble, and then our uh, extension plant pathologist, Dr. Ed Sakura. And so there's sections on insects, weeds, and diseases. And we do have a list of pesticides that are legal in the state of Alabama. But it's important to note that each state is going to be different in terms of what their regulations are. Pesticides are still regulated on a state-by-state -state basis for hemp. And so check with your local Department of Agriculture or local Extension Office if you're in a different state and have questions about applying chemicals on your hemp. 
And then just to kind of round out some of these resources and, and stuff we've done that has hopefully been helpful to growers is putting together these, you know, one page cheat sheets on some of the major insects that we see in hemp. Cassie, Jessica, and I put on a series of um, back in the before days when we could still see people in person. Um, right. We had some meetings throughout the state. Um, we've done webinars featuring growers around the state talking about their different operations. And so I'd love to interview some more growers. So if you have um, a story you want to share, we can bring our camera and, and get you on some of our pages. Um, we also have a bunch of resources on our extension YouTube. And so this is um, a screenshot of a talk that Jessica gave on economics of hemp. And so she's worked really hard. She could talk about this in a minute um, to create a budget for growers to, to look at, especially before they start growing. And, and finally, the last thing that I do want to mention is um, we are working hard at our research stations to get some answers out to growers. Um, we're looking at things from nitrogen um, management in hemp to disease, insect, and weed strategies. I have a couple students working on uh, drought and irrigation strategies, and we have a also a variety trial. And we're also um, looking forward to partnering with the National Hemp Co-op in the future and, and looking at different varieties of fiber hemp that can really thrive here in the unique Southeastern climate. So stay tuned for, for more information. Um, and I'm gonna stop talking here and I'm going to pass it to, we keep mentioning um, Jessica Kelton and I see she's muted. So hopefully she can unmute and is not just a ghost, but she is our regional extension agent on the farm and agribusiness team for Alabama Cooperative Extension. And she is based in Headland, Alabama and has been doing a lot of work across the board on hemp and also helping growers. And so she was just gonna chat a little bit about her interaction with growers and, and the role that REAs or regional extension agents have as, as boots on the ground helping uh, growers throughout the region. Thanks, Caitlin. Yes, I am on here, so hopefully everybody can hear me, but um, yes, I'm, zooming from, I'm zooming from my vehicle, so I don't have my camera on, but I know I listened to Caitlin and Cassie both talk about um, extension, what we do. Um, one of the things that I, I really wanted to point out to begin with back in 2019, uh, not only did we have to learn about hemp, but we really worked with a lot of growers who were new to growing anything and understanding that extension was here and what we did was a new concept for them. So for anyone who does listen to this, you know, as we move through hemp, we're learning hemp, but we're, we're also that resource. So um, the boots on the ground part for me, I look at it as um, I'm kind of that one-stop shop. I don't have all the answers, but I have a lot of the the contacts like Caitlin and Cassie. So I can function as that, that one person a, a grower can go to and say, hey, I need help with this, or I'm really interested in knowing, knowing what's going on. And um, the boots on the ground doesn't imply that Cassie and Caitlin aren't in the field, but they, they have a lot of responsibilities. And so I can function as that one person and then kind of forward things on and work with Caitlin or Cassie or anyone else that's working in a specific area in hemp. So it, it does make it a little easier for a grower to have access to, you know, someone coming out to their farm. They're not having to keep up with five or six or seven different numbers. And I think it's probably the way it works in most of the, the other states in extension is that you have an agent, either a county agent or a regional agent that will be more than willing to come to your, your farm, take a look at what's going on. Even if you don't have a problem, hey, what can I, you know, talk to you what kind of questions, what do I need to be watching for? What can I be prepared for? So the trick is gonna be in hemp is that it is a relatively new crop. And even if you call in, in a county office in Alabama, there might not necessarily be an agent that's housed in that county that's familiar with hemp, but there are people within the organization that they can kind of route you to. So it, if, if you're in Georgia or Florida um, or any of these other states that adopted or, or started growing hemp about the same time as we did, they may not necessarily have a really established hemp program and they're probably trying to pay, play catch up just like we were. Um, and big kudos to, to our 
people on campus like Caitlin and, and Cassie, they have worked tremendously. Uh, they've done a great job of getting research in the field and doing some of that research because again, extensions based on research-based information. We don't just go out and give our opinion. Um, it's based on research and have you, how do you direct a grower when they haven't, when we don't have any research to pull from. So they've done a great job of putting that together and try to get those resources so we can answer some of those questions. So that's kind of how it works is in the field is if you have a question and you need somebody to come out to your, to your field, we're a little closer. Typically we can get out there pretty quick um, because it is kind of a, a lot of times we need to be able to respond pretty quick um, if there's an issue and we need to treat for it or, or try to figure out if we have an option, what can we do to control whatever issue you've got out there. We can get out there pretty quick. Most of us are, are pretty open to coming out, hopefully in the day or the next day. Um, so that's kind of how I see myself as, as an agent, what my role in, in this is. From a different perspective is that budget side of it. And we get a lot of calls especially back in 2019, we got calls, hey, I, I want to start growing hemp. I've never grown anything, um, but I want to grow hemp because of all of the information that was coming out. Hey, I can get rich. off." So that was kind of the reason behind developing that budget. So we could actually sit down with the grower and say, here's how much you're going to invest per acre. This is how much time it's going to take you to, to put into this. It's not just money, but how much time are you going to invest in this? Um, let's sit down and look at it. Let's make sure that this is what you want to jump into. We don't want to dissuade anybody from growing anything, but we don't want them to be unrealistic. So that budget operates as, as a means for someone to say, hey, I can, I'm going to invest this much. This is what my potential return is. Does it make sense for me and my operation? And we develop those budgets um, for any commodity, most of our major crops. Um, and even smaller crops, we try to have budgets available for growers to be able to look at, to give them an accurate sense of how much it's going to cost to grow this crop um, so that I can know how much I've got to get out of it, to, if it even makes sense for me to, to put it in the field. Um, I, I do know that we had some growers or potential growers who looked at the budget and, you know, when they started trying to, to price stuff and if they could get contracts, they decided it wasn't, it wasn't for them. Again, I would like to see this the whole industry be sustainable. And that does mean that some people probably don't need to get into it, but then others be realistic about it. So um, that's kind of how that budget works. And, you know, anytime anyone has a question, even if it's not our area, I know probably Caitlin gets all kinds of calls that don't relate to anything to do with insects, but we really do want to see this industry survive and and thrive we're more than welcome more than happy to get answers to anything hemp related for any kind of any grower uh, we'll even cross state lines but we will probably tell you you know some of this is state specific but we'll try to help find you resources yeah that's a great point i mean i my girl my goal is just to surround myself with smart people so if i don't know the answer then i can send questions to to all those people and i do just want to add jessica that those budgets are super user-friendly and I, I put your contact information on the screen. So if someone wants a copy, they can, they can email or call you and get a copy of that, but you can just type in, you know, your input costs in Excel and it will calculate everything for you. Correct. Yes. And, and so we put it into an Excel form so that people can cut, I mean, all budgets need to be um, adjusted for your specific operation. Um, that doesn't mean go in there and say, well, this says we're going to need 300 hours of, of, you know, of labor. Well, I'm going to do it in 10. It just means I know for a fact, this is how much I paid for my transplants. So I can put that amount in there, or these are my input costs. So they, we did try to make it very simplified, but user-friendly so that you can go in and modify it to, to accurately reflect your operation. Very cool. You know, one of the things, Jessica, I'd, I'd be interested to know your thoughts on this is <clears throat> we ask every, every person who might uh, be interested in joining our National Hip Growers Co-op, we ask them three questions. One is, and the first one is, um, how does growing hemp fit into what you're doing now? I mean, is that are you brand new? You just want to get in? Are you, are you in production ag and you want to add a couple of acres just to see what it'll do? You know, because that changes 
a lot of different questions, right? And a lot of different answers, uh, depending on, on, on how that is. Our, our second question is, is what will grow where you are? Um, and that's those of us uh, in the South, we've kind of been a black hole on a lot of that, right? I mean, we just don't know enough, which is why we're doing these seed trials and why we're so glad that, that uh, uh, the greater y'all are gonna be a, a part of that with us as we, as we coordinate and figure that out. And then our third question is, is who's going to buy whatever it is that you grow? And, and so if, if part of our job is to help fill in the gaps of, those, uh, of answering those questions. And in some states, look, there's not a dream team like y'all there, quite frankly, uh, that, can, that can help them figure that out. And, and so we are not so proud to, to, to stop from beg, barring, or stealing from anybody else if we can uh, help some of our growers um, figure that out. But, but Jessica, do you think that's kind of, are we on the right track there <clears throat> of those questions that we're asking folks whenever we start having dialogue about hemp? I do think those are really good questions to ask, particularly on the, where are you, where do you plan to sell this? Because that's, that's a big question. And I think if you, if you work with any kind of commercial hort commodity groups that we talk about, well, you can grow all, all day long, but you don't really make money until you can sell it. Um, it's the same for hemp. If we work to, to develop our way of um, managing and producing and we actually get yield, well, then what? Where are you going to market it? And that's been, you know, it's kind of been rocky from the beginning, you know, getting contracts that you could get a contract, then you couldn't get a contract. Um, so, being able to identify what your market is uh, and knowing what your return is going to be is, is important. But then, you know, how does it fit into your operation is a really good question. And I think it tells you a lot about that grower. If, if they've been in ag, if they've been in production, there's a different set of questions you ask. And if they're new to production and they're new to agriculture, then you do start asking a different set of questions because, um, and, and it's not to say that one would be more successful than the other. I've seen some people who have not been involved in ag who d decided to get into hemp and have done a great job. It's been, they've been fantastic at learning how to produce it. Um, but you just have to ask a different set of questions. No doubt. No doubt. Well, good. Thank you for that. Um, um, for that uh, uh, attaboy that hopefully we're headed down the right trail. So look, we'll be glad to open this up for questions. We don't want to drag y'all's afternoon out but michael um we really always enjoy your questions and and i would be disappointed if we didn't have a good question from michael so i don't know uh dr kesham can you see michael's question there i can there... so he he asks what are the best growing areas for hemp in alabama and is there any feral hemp growing in the state that you're studying and so those are both fantastic questions and I'll, I'll tackle the second one because um, the answer I think is no that we've seen. Um, I know there are pockets of feral hemp around the US. I haven't seen any here in Alabama, but I could be wrong. Um, I know that the, there is an effort to collect feral hemp from across the United States to create a, a seed bank up in New York. But um, Cassie or Jessica, do y'all know of any feral hemp that's been found in Alabama? I do not know of many. I think you see them more in the Northeast, just from what I, I've read. And I can try and tackle that first question. <laughs> just based on plant diseases, um, we, we don't tend to have as high a pressure of disease in the northern part of the state as we do in the southern. And that is because it is warmer during the winter down there and they receive much more rain. So disease pressure tends to be higher the further south you go. Now, insects may do the opposite thing and say, well, I like it where it feels better and it's less rain. At least that's just from a disease standpoint. Yeah, and we definitely do have higher insect populations of particular species in North Alabama, but then we have higher populations of different species in South Alabama. And looking at, at least as far as CBD hemp, um, corn earworms are equally atrocious everywhere you go in Alabama. And so we do see major issues um, in terms of fiber or grain hemp 
Uh, I know fall armyworm and possibly stink bugs, um, but stink bugs are, are becoming more and more widespread around the state and fall armyworms are just literally everywhere. And so in terms of insect pressure, it might be kind of a crapshoot, you know, um, once we get a better grasp on what major insects are going to be a, a pest of fiber hemp. Very cool. Great, great information. Uh, as I would have been shocked to find out if I wasn't going to get good information after visiting with y'all. It's always uh, terrific to do. I just want to say an extra thank you. Thank you. Y'all have been so supportive from us from the very beginning uh, and crossing over that 10 ton line and coming back over to our direction for not only folks in Mississippi, but in other states too, of helping fill in the gap from some of this great information that I know that you have. So on behalf of the um, Industrial Hemp Growers Digests Webinar Wednesday, which is a mouthful uh, that, that we at the National Hemp Growers Cooperative are glad to um, uh, have every Wednesday afternoon. If you are listening to this, uh, through our podcast, or if you are watching this video on our website, please know that you can always participate every Wednesday at two o'clock central. Next week, we are going to have Maddie Mead on. Maddie is a hymn, is a, uh, is a Matthew Maddie. Uh, Maddie Mead from Hempitecture in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And they are doing all kinds of cool stuff with building materials, particularly Hemp fill, F-I-L-L, that they're using for insulation uh, uh, as a kind of a counterpart to hempcrete. So Maddie will be on to talk more about what they do. And then uh, that's on the 6th of, of October. And then on the 13th, we will have the Queen Bee herself, uh, who uh, is, is been around and knows more than the rest of us will ever forget, right? Which is, it was Joy Beckerman, who is, is one of the leading uh, uh, voices of hemp. Uh, throughout the world, and Joy will be on with us. So thank you all very much from the Alabama Extension world, Dr. Keshheimer, Dr. Connor, and, and uh, Jessica. Thank you all for joining us. We really do appreciate it, and we will see you all again soon, I hope. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Okay. Bye.